0: Thank you for visiting theopenword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources.
1: Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Well, we're still in Romans. Yeah, going to be a while. Um... We did finish a chapter last week, though. We should have like a celebration after we finish each chapter, you know, like a, like a party or a celebration or something, you know? So like a graduation. I've graduated from chapter 5 to chapter 6. Um, but anyways, we're in chapter 6. And um, before I start, one of the things I've, I've seriously considered doing and I think I'm going to most likely do is I uh, start using um, the Legacy Standard Bible. All right, yeah, I'm using. I'm going to use it today. Legacy Standard Bible. You can get it on your iPhone free. Um, but uh, it's a translation done by the uh, Master Seminary, basically taking the NASB tw- uh, 95, I think it is, and. Uh, I've been listening to you know, the t- translation team and how they've done it, and I'm really impressed with their approach to it. Um, what they've tried to do is make all... One of the things you find as you um, study the Scripture, for example, like in the King James or some of the others, is that the same Greek word in, in the original might be translated three or four different ways, different nuances in the English. All right? Um, Charity, love, affection, you know, those kind of things. That's all probably one Greek word behind it all. And sometimes what you lose is you lose the original intent of what the Holy Spirit was saying when you have multiple words being taken from one word, for example. So what they've tried to do in the, this version here is try to find a single word so there's more of a one-to-one correspondence between one Greek word to one English word so you can you can follow it much better all right i was really impressed with that what they were doing with that um, and also what they've tried to do um, another impressive thing and this is one of the things i'm really passionate about is they they translated from the perspective of the author not perspective of the reader all right for example if you take the message it's okay by the way the message is a good thing to read but is that, um, does that favor the reader or favor the original author? The reader, all right? The more you favor the reader, the more the translator gets in, the, in between what the original text was and what you're reading, right? And so what they've tried to do in this version is say, we're going to go back and try to reconstruct what the author meant and then it's the pastor and the interpreter's job to go from there. We're not going to try and insert our theology or our thinking back onto the text. I was really impressed with the way they did it. I don't know. There's a bunch of them. Um, if, if you do a web search on Legacy Standard Bible, they've got a website you can go to, and it, they have some videos where they talk about how they do this. And they have some really interesting examples in the Old Testament. And interestingly, one of the, one of the examples they brought out is the one that Jim, Pastor Jim talked about last week where Boaz was a man of integrity and Ruth was a woman of integrity. And they they show how that word that's behind that, that Jim was talking about, they actually have an example of how they translated that through the scriptures. It's really interesting. Um, But I was really impressed with it. So I'm probably going to make the change from the ESV to the Legacy Standard Bible. Um, I just... I, I like the way it reads, you know, so that's just a plug for that. Go out and look at, essentially, go out and look at the website. Um, I think you'd be really interested to see how, they, they have like a three or four, like 40-minute videos where they talk about how they translate and, and how they really, for example, in the Old Testament, a lot of your translations have like the Lord God. They actually put Yahweh in there. So Yahweh God, not the Lord God. They put Yahweh God in there. Because um, that's the original word. Because sometimes you're reading along and you don't know. Lord is because there is another word called Lord Adonai, but what is one is it? So they've tried to make it consistent all the way through. It's really interesting. So take a check at it. But anyways, we're in Romans chapter six today. And uh, again, in Romans chapter five, in Romans chapter four, Paul lays out the example of justification by faith. David and Abraham talks about that. In Romans 5, he says, okay, now that you're justified, what does that look like? What are the results of that justification? And now in Romans 6 and 7, he turns to another question. Okay, having been justified, why do you struggle with sin? Why do you struggle with it? I mean, there's a lot of us that say, wait a minute, when I became a Christian, didn't it, you know God just take away my sin and make me perfect and you know why am I struggling with this thing yeah why do I keep why do I keep having this struggle alright right we are sinners and he's gonna talk about that he's gonna talk about that struggle here in Romans 6 through 7 um, if you want to think about it Romans 5 is something time-wise it's something that happened in your past what do we mean by that you were justified justification is not a process it's an event that happened in the past. All right, You were justified. You've been declared righteous before God. You've been acquitted before the throne of God. You are freed from the penalty of sin. But now we have this concept of, okay, I'm freed from the penalty of sin, but what about the power of sin? Now ultimately, someday I will be freed from the power of sin, but in the meantime, what am I struggling with right now? I'm still struggling with the residual... Sin that I have that I'm dealing with in my original pollution. We, we remember we said you're sinner three ways you're sinner by identification with Adam, right? Call that federal headship. You're sinner because you have a polluted flesh that came from Adam. Your flesh is polluted. You have these desires and propensities in your flesh. And then because of that, you commit acts of sin, you do things that are wrong. How did God deal with your identification with Adam? Romans 5 You're identified with Christ. No longer the old man is dead. You know, we have, I I remember growing up and listening to preachers say, Well, you know, you got this old man and this new man, and they're constantly at war with each other. Technically, that's not what the scripture says. Your old man is dead. What is the old man? It's your identification with Adam, it's not your pollution. It's your identification with Adam. That's gone. You're identified with Christ now. But you still got flesh. You still got this fallenness that we have. And that's what Paul is going to talk about here in Romans 6 and 7. And he starts it out by asking a rhetorical question What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so grace may increase? What did he say in the last verse of Romans 5? well, the second to the last verse, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. How do you know that God is a God of grace? Because he didn't fry you the first time you committed an act of sin. What do we all deserve? All the lightning and a little ash pile on the ground, right? But because God is a God of grace, he doesn't do that. And some might say, well, you know, okay, so if God is a God of grace and God exhibits his grace by forgiving my sin, then if I sin, then I'm making God look good. So if I really want to make God look good, I really need to sin a lot to show how good God is. That's sort of a twisted view of things. If, sin, if grace abounds where sin is present, then the more sin is present, the more grace is abounding, right? So if I really want to make God look really good, I'm going to just go sin all I can and make him look good. Are we to continue and sin that grace may what? Increase. Do you continue sinning so that God continues to display his grace and when somebody asks you what's going on, well, isn't God such a wonderful God of grace? Now, may I suggest that if that is your mentality, I would seriously question your salvation or your understanding of what it means to be forgiven. What's that? We are. They they missed it. Yeah, I mean, you know, and sometimes you see this on TV where you see these... You know, TV preachers or prominent preachers get caught in an act of sin and say, well, isn't wonderful? God forgave me. It's like, ah, it's nothing. God will forgive us. Now, wait a minute. Yeah, will God forgive you? Well, of course he will. But when you say, ah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and, and it's a presumption on God's character, isn't it? Actually, I think if you really study the Decalogue, this is the violation of don't take the Lord's name in vain. It's not using bad words. It's presuming on his character. Oh, God will forgive me. He's a God of grace. You know, He's a gracious God, so it doesn't matter whether I sin because he's going to forgive me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you got <clears> to... <throat> You got a problem with your heart. Can you imagine someone who's married to somebody saying, it doesn't matter whether I offend her, whether I do with her, it doesn't matter if I talk bad of her. Because she loves me, she'll, she'll forgive me. Anyways. It's like, really? I mean, that's that's the attitude that Paul's getting at. You don't sin to make God look good when He forgives you. You shouldn't want to sin. hmm. There's a parallel there. It's. Right. Or, and I think there's both dimensions there. I, I would say that. You know, when you take God's name in vain, you're making him like someone else. You're not seeing him for who he is. And I think also, but David said, Lord, keep me from presumptuous sins. Don't let me presume on your character. Don't let me just assume that because I'm your child and that you love me that I can get away with things. Does that make any sense? I think there's a dimension of God's taking God's name in vain. What is God's name? When God says my name is whatever, what does that mean? What is what in the Jew, in the Jewish mentality, what does a person's name mean? See, we use it as the label yeah, that's Denny. That's Dan. Okay, I get that. Okay, that's the label we give them. It cares, it's their character. Why did Why did Jacob get a new name? He needed one, right? I mean, I'm going to take. Uh, I'm going to change your name from Deceiver and Supplanter to Prince. Boy, that's a good change, isn't it? See, we see name as the label or the sticker we put on somebody to define them from someone else. In the Bible, your name is all that you are. It's it's more of a reflection of your character. And you see that in the Bible in the biblical names. Simon's name got changed. Paul's name was changed. Okay, The Bible says we get a new name in heaven. There's a new name. The, the, the idea of name is far beyond just the label or the sticker. And that's what the Jews said. Well, we can't use the word Yahweh. That's, that's God's name. We can't speak his name. That's, they missed the point. God's name is all that he is. When, we, when Christ says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. as I say we just uh, uh man, I forgot to say in Jesus' name. I guess my prayer doesn't go anywhere. No, it's because you're asking in line with who he is, his character, what he wants, his being. Yeah. They did, they did, but I think what they did is they missed the point saying we can't use the label, but at the same time, they were presuming on who he was, his character, okay? Um, and, and, And when you pray in Jesus' name, it's not because you stick that at the end of your prayer like a stamp to get it to heaven or it gets returned to sender, all right? But rather you're saying, I'm praying this because this is what Jesus would want. This is what God would want. You know, this I'm, I'm praying what what He would want, and if you do that, your prayers are answered, right? So you're praying for somebody's salvation. Does God want them to be saved? Sure. So you're praying in Jesus' name. When you're praying for a new Cadillac, do you need that?
0: <laughs>
1: Probably not. All right. The point is we we we've we've twisted this around and. When we presume on God's name, we're just assuming that, hey, I'm, I'm saved now, I'm going to heaven, so it doesn't matter what I do. Paul is saying, how can you say that? If you say that, you don't understand what it means to be forgiven. You don't want to sin. And when you say, let me sin more so that God's grace may increase, you can't... You, that, that is incomprehensible, Paul.
0: I think that way Holy, holy, holy is the
1: Lord
0: God almighty. Tribillic. Easy for you to say. Easy for you to
1: say. Yeah, I mean, was Moses a man of God? Yep. When he struck the rock, what happened?
0: He was sinned.
1: What was the price?
0: He didn't go
1: God I did God just have a bad hair day? We can, but no. Yeah, I mean, Moses struck the rock and it displeased the Lord. He disobeyed. It cost him. He couldn't go into the promised land that God promised him. And it's like, you know, some have tried to read, and I, you know, you can study that whole passage, but it could be that he was sort of presuming on God's name. And God says, no, you don't do that. My name is holy. You don't, you don't, you don't. You don't presume on my name. You don't take advantage of it just because I'm, I'm a gracious God. Don't take advantage of that and assume that you deserve something you don't. Can we
0: pray for something, though? It you know, says so if you have enough faith, you can move this mountain. But yet, maybe God doesn't want to move
1: the mountain. Well, if it's his will to move the mountain, what will happen? Yeah. But see, here's our problem. We like to, we're very good at thinking our will is God's will, isn't it? We're very good at that.
0: That's the, the idea. is we pray at God's will.
1: The... Yeah, but we think, and there are people who think, my will is God's will. No, God's will should be my will. It's the other way around. All right, it's not me telling God what to do. It's God telling me what to do. All right, Paul is saying. You've been justified. You've been freed from the penalty of sin. And I know some of you out there think that now that you're freed from the penalty of sin, it really doesn't matter what you do because you're okay. Do
0: you have to ask for forgiveness every time you sin? Yeah.
1: Yes. And by the way, that's not because in the eternal penalty sense, you're not going to be forgiven, right? But to keep the relationship with God open, what do you need to do? Repent. Repent. That keeps the relationship open.
0: Well I think I was gonna say as we mature the Holy Spirit convicts us more than we do see. Uh, a lot of times what happens is uh, for me personally, you know, if I say something that's offensive to Teresa, you know, I can immediately see a reaction in her in her face. But it's the same thing with God if I do something that no one
1: else sees. Mm-hmm.
0: Time. If, if I'm looking on the uh, uh, on the phone and, and going through the news clips and stuff and see, uh different news things that come up that could lead me to a place of uh, looking at things I shouldn't look at, then I'm not going to look at them. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't want to presume on God's care. See, the danger i think we have is that we see god as so much our father that we don't see him as a consuming fire by the way that's one of the other words they tried to in the legacy standard bible they actually translate fear as fear not as respect cuz the word is fear all right the word is fear are we to fear am i to fear god yes yes Wait a minute, I thought you were saved. I thought you were going to heaven. I thought he's your father. Yeah, but you know what? When I was growing up, I feared my dad.
0: One part of the scripture says, uh, it's a terrible thing to fall into
1: the hands. hands of a living God. Yeah, you, mean you need to fear God. And a, and, a, and a healthy fear of God does a lot for your sanctification because you say, yeah, God forgives me, but why would I want to do that? Why would I want to bring dishonor to his name? These here are people that say, if I sin, it makes God look good. So I'm not going to worry too much about doing sin. you got to worry about that. May it never be. A construct in the Greek text which is the strongest negative possible. It's, got, it's Paul throwing his hands up and saying, not in a billion years should you think this. Not in a billion Should this be should this pass your mind? Not in a billion years. May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? This is really important. How can we who died to sin live any longer in it? What does it mean to die to sin? How have we died to sin?
0: Huh? I want to say choice.
1: Yeah. No God, well, He's going to explain what it means. He's going to explain it. How shall we who died to sin still live in? Or do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? By the way, baptism here is no water. This is a waterless baptism in this verse. He's not referring to water baptism. All right. We we have brought that on it. We have we've taken our modern understanding of baptism. We've dropped it down on this text and said, "Ah, this is talking about water baptism." This is not talking about water baptism. At the root, what is it? Baptism, baptizo, the Greek word baptizo, means to identify, to place in water, to dip, to immerse. In Corinthians it says the Israelites were baptized into Moses in the wilderness. Does that mean he dunked all of them in the water? One by one? All two million of them? Well no, it doesn't mean that at all. What does it mean? Well, the Israelites were identified with Moses as he went through the wilderness. When we're baptized in the Spirit, does the Holy Spirit take us and dunk us in some heavenly water? No, what are we doing? He places us into the body of Christ. He takes us and identifies us. He puts us and places us into the body of Christ. And we've talked about this a lot. Baptism, when we think of baptism, all we think of is you dunk them in the water. As a good Baptist, that's what we all been thinking all of our years. But it's more than that. You know that's dangerous when you think. Oh, it's dangerous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it brings up the phrase "in Christ,"
0: which is used frequently. Um, we often think about, you know, let Jesus come into my heart. I'm knocking on the
1: door. Yeah. If you'll open the door. I will come in and something. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think there's grounds for that idea of opening our hearts, but I'm thinking that is only a beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In his, in who he
0: is, and it goes to the prayer that Christ prayed about unity between himself and the Father
1: and us, through Christ. hmm yeah that's what exactly what it is it it's it w- we think again because I grew up as a Baptist, you know you're always thinking of dunking in the water, and John when he baptized people, he dunked them in the water, but what did that signify yeah I'm all in on well not a part of Christ, not to John, but that <clears throat> I'm all in on this message I believe what he is saying i I agree with it I'm all in all right. I'm identifying with the message of John. I'm, again, I, the, I keep going back to this whole idea of identification. The Essene community down at the Dead Sea, if you want to become part of an Essene community, you went through all their rituals, the end of which you were baptized and received a new set of clothes, and now you're officially in. You're identifying with them. You're, saying, you're making a public identification with them. And what Paul is saying here is that we are identified with Christ. We have a close-knit identification with him. All right? This is not him dunking us in water. We are identified with Christ. How are we identified with Christ? He's going to um, expand us here in his death, burial, and resurrection. How is it that you died to sin? You died with Christ. All right? All right? Let's say I'm a, let's say I'm a bad criminal. I have a long criminal record. Alright? And I die. What happens to the criminal record? Am I gonna, am I gonna be, am I gonna be put on trial for a crime? I'm dead. I'm dead. It's gone. The law has no power over me now. I'm dead. Right? I'm not gonna be now, you know, you got these wackadoodles that put you on trial after you're gone, you know, just to make a show of things. But technically, if you're dead, I mean what are you gonna do to you, right? You're dead. By the way, he's gonna bring that up later on in Romans seven, talking about this this idea here. But he's saying here May it never be how that how shall we who are dead to sin have died? We have died. Right, it happened. We died. How do we just still live in it? Do you not know that all of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? In In a, sort of in a sense, what Paul is saying is that if I'm identified with Christ, when Christ died, what happened to me? I died with him. Now what is the penalty of sin? Death. Do I pay the penalty? Yo. Yo, I paid the penalty in the sense I died with him, but I didn't pay the penalty in the sense I died for just me. I died with him. It's my identification with him that makes this work. Does that make any sense? I died with him. And I was that we're baptized in Christ. Jesus, we're baptized into his death. Identification. I I, I still think that the better, best word for the best um, dimension to understand the word baptism is full identification. The Israelites were identified with Moses in the wilderness. When I am baptized, Holy Spirit baptism is not me getting the divine zap and speaking in tongues. It's the Holy Spirit placing me, identifying me in the body of Christ, making me a member of the body of Christ. Being baptized into Christ's death means I'm identified with Christ in his death. So when he died, in a sense, I died with him. All right. Therefore, we are buried with him. So not only have I died with him, but what else was happened with me? I was buried with him. Now, why do you thought why do they toss the burial part into this whole thing? You know, Christ died and rose again. Why do they stick burial in the between there, you think? What's burial supposedly showing? He was really dead, I mean, he really died yeah, he really died. He was buried. he's put in a tomb. This is not well, I don't know if he's dead yet or not, you know, maybe he's just like knocked out and he'll say revive and come back and not really die, but the idea of burial here is that no we. He was buried. He was really dead. Buried. And we're buried with him through what? Baptism into death. So not only did we die with him in a sense, we were buried with him And also here, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we might too walk in newness of life. When Christ rose again, what happened to us? Yeah. Now the only way that works is you better be identified with Christ or you're dead and you're gone. That's it. What he's saying is there's an identification here. Or identified with Christ, and this identification motif is really, really quite a you know it's in it's in quite a bit of the New Testament. Um, another one that comes to mind is Colossians one. Um, and um, let me find a, um, let me find the verse that I'm looking for. Of course I can't find it right away here. But it says he took the the the, the sins of us and nailed them to his cross. Um, trying to find the word I want here. Somebody can look that up. It's in Colossians there. But the idea there is that um, when a criminal in that day was crucified, they would write his crime on a piece of paper and stick it over the cross. This is why this guy is dying. And what Paul is saying is that God took our offenses and in a sense nailed them to the cross of Christ. That's right. That's right. That's why the inscription was there. Why did Pilate write the inscription? Now he was mocking the Jews, you understand that. Because he thought Christ was innocent. But the whole point there is you, put, you, put, you nail to the cross by the criminal a description of why he's dying.
0: So what did they put on king of the Jews? This is Jesus
1: of Nazareth, king of the Jews.
0: So they were killing him because he was the king of the
1: Jews. Well, that's what the that's what the religious leaders want him. And so Pilate said, "Okay, I'll I'll do that." Yeah. grace. Yeah. Yes. We are. We are. Because I'm not resurrected yet, am I? But I will be. And how do I know I will be? Well, I've been identified with Christ. I died with Christ. I was buried with Christ. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, even so someday I will be raised from the dead. Yeah, you have to be in on it. I'm irritated because I can't find that passage I want in, um, in Colossians. It's there. Um, but basically the idea is he took the handwriting of ordinance which was against us and nailed it to his cross. <clears throat> so think about that. All your sins, in, in a sense, <clears throat> all that massive book of your sins was nailed to Christ's cross. And when Christ died, that, those sins were paid for. You can't get one sin up on God. You can't get a sin up on God. He took our sins and nailed them to the cross, his own cross. And what it's saying here is that I am identified <clears throat> with him. And that's the only way you get uh, you get in. I mean, I remember the, uh, <clears throat> the account of, uh, you know, an illustration I heard many years ago. You know, if I... You know, again, if I if I go to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and knock on the door, I wouldn't get in, right? But what if uh, one of the president's kids were with me? You. Let's assume, get rid of the politics and all the noise and you know all that out there. But seriously, if I if I was with somebody that had entrance and I was with that person, what would happen? I could get in, right? Now, I'm not going to get in on my own. But being with somebody, I can get in. In a sense, we're not going to get into God's presence on our own, but Christ says, they're with me. They're with me. Come on in. Come on in. They're with me. 2.13. All right, can you read that? I, I... I know it was there, it was in Colossians. As
0: you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of the flesh got made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside nailing it to the cross.
1: Yep. He nailed it to the cross. Think about that. All your sin. So in Christ is hanging there on the cross, what was with him? All the sin, all my sin. Well, potentially all the sin of the world, but in the salvific sense of me, my sin was nailed to the cross. And when he died, the debt of my sin, which was death, was paid. Oh, well, death Where's your sting. And it says here, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Just as he died, I died with him. He was buried, I was buried with him. Someday he rose again. Someday I will rise again too. And when I rise again, does death, does that sin have any dominion over me? Why not? I paid the penalty, right? I paid the penalty. You know, in the ancient West we had... Accommodations for that. If you hanged a guy and the rope broke, what happened?
0: He lived. He went free.
1: He went free, right? Or if somebody is, is executed for a crime and three days later they rise again and walk on they paid, they, they died. And that's the wonder of this. We died, we, we did pay the penalty for sin in a sense that we died with Christ. Alright. Then says here, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Our old man is crucified with him. Now, that is in a completed, undefined, it's the heiress tense, which is an undefined action, usually occurring in the past. So our old man is dead. What's our old man? Our identification with Adam. It's died. It's gone. It's dead. We're new. What does the Bible say? If any man be in Christ, he is a new. Two words in Greek for new. One is new in sense of time. And another is new in sense of essence. Which one do you think he's using there? Essence. Essence. I like what Vance Havner says. You're not a, uh, God does not make, make a new page in an old book. He gives you a brand new book. We're not uh, new in a sense of time. We're new in a sense of essence. He makes a new creation in us. We're different. We're not like we used to be. Paul's saying we have died with Christ in his his crucifixion, we're buried, we will rise again, because of that, our old identification with that old nature, that fallenness, that Adamic cursed nature is dead. We are now not subject to that. Now you're still saying, well then why do we still sin? He's going to get to that. But notice, notice what it says here. The old man was crucified, listen, in order that the body of sin might be done away with. So if the old man is crucified, he has this other thing called the body of sin that might be done away with. Now, the might there is not like might in the sense of, well, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. This is a purpose clause. Because the old man is dead, what, what do we now have? We have the, the, the body of sin our current flesh can be done away with, right? Because sin no longer has dominion over us. Now, now we're into that second part, remember? We're sinners because of our identification with Adam, that's taken care of. But we have this original pollution that we're still dealing with. That's what we're going to be struggling with here. That's the body of sin that we still lug around with us, that we got to deal with. But because of what happened, what's going to eventually happen to the body of this death? eventually it'll be done away with it's not done away with yet unfortunately but it will be past present future that's what he's talking about it might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin here's the deal that he's trying to make and he's gonna he's gonna fill this out in the next section here the unbeliever is a slave to their sin you know, see unbelievers think they're free to do what they want but they're not you're you're a slave to you who you are you're a slave to your character you're a slave to what you think yeah Why do sinners sin? Because they're a slave to sin. And I think as Christians, we need to look upon some of these people in our society with compassion rather than anger. Why do they do the things they do? Because they're slaves of sin. They think they're free. Oh, I I should should have the freedom to marry anybody I want. I should have the freedom to identify with whatever gender I want. I have the freedom to do this, freedom to do that. No, you're not, you're not free then. You're a slave to whatever it is that you're propon- propounding. Paul's saying you're a slave to sin. But now that your old nature is dead, which is your identification with Adam, you're no longer a slave to that. You, you have a choice now. He's going to bring up the new master in a little bit here. We're, we're, we serve a new master, but what do we still have? We still have that old... Identification that our old pollution, I mean, we're still that old flesh that we're struggling with. All right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. the unredeemed part. Yeah. Which is a slave to the law of sin
1: that's Right. But it takes practice, I think, to get to the point where we begin to implement the ability to resist. And the other nuance that you don't see there in John three eighteen, which is there, is the idea that those who are born of God do not Practice sin. The tense verb, the verbal tense there means you, this is not your manner of life. This is not what you are. You're, if you're a Christian, is your life characterized by unrepentant, unending sin? No, it's not. You sin, right? But you don't want to. That's not what you are. You're different. You're a new creation in Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. Paul's trying to hit this idea that people say, well, if I I can be a Christian and have no change in my life, he says, not so. If you're a Christian, and you're continuing sin, and you don't think it's a big deal, you're probably not a Christian. Because Christians hate sin. They don't live in it. Paul gives a list of a bunch of bad sins in 1 Corinthians 6. He said, you know, you guys used to be fornicators and adulterers and effeminate and liars and cheaters and all that. But And such were some of you, but now you are sanctified. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. It doesn't mean that you don't commit an act of sin now and then, but that's not your pattern of life. That's not what you're bound to. That's not your, your being. If that's your being, you're probably not a Christian. Again, we're not talking about... Here's the other thing, too. If someone says to me, I don't know if I'm a Christian because I sin, I say, do you struggle with sin? Yes, I struggle with it. I hate it. Well, that means you're a Christian. Do do non-Christians struggle with sin? They struggle with the penalty. They don't struggle with sin. The penalty. The consequences. They don't struggle with it being a sin. No. No. Yeah. If you're going with the flow, you don't feel any struggle. When you go against the flow, no. Well, again, you know, I remember I use this illustration a lot. Spurgeon was talking to a young man, and a young man said, "You talk about this weight of sin. I don't feel any weight of sin." And and he said, "Well, let's go down to the morgue and let's put a 500-pound weight on the chest of a dead man." Does that man feel the weight of that weight of that? You know the weight of that. Well, of course not. He's dead. He said, "Well, you're dead in sin. Of course, you don't feel the weight of sin. If you're dead in sin, you don't feel the weight of it. It's only believers that feel the weight of sin. They struggle with consequences. Yeah, it's not like they see it as bad." For example, okay, I'll just, a bad example maybe, you know, um, teenage pregnancy and sex. What are we told today? Well, give them condoms, keep them from the penalty of it. But they don't talk about it's wrong because it's morally wrong. I don't want to get a disease. I don't want to get, I won't do that because I don't want to get a disease or I don't want to suffer a penalty or whatever. But it's not because, whoa, that's, that's wrong. That's an that's evil, wicked thing to do. I don't want to do it. That's the you follow the difference. Yeah, it, it's why do unbelieve why do unbelievers by and large keep the law? They don't want to get in trouble, right? But why do you why do I want to keep the law?
0: Because you're a believer.
1: Because it's an affront against the holy God. I don't want to offend him. I don't want to dishonor the Lord. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I don't want to get in trouble. It makes me feel good. There's a selfish... I don't know. There's all kinds of reasons. The point is only when you come to Christ and only in the power of the Holy Spirit do you see sin as an affront against God. It's not the penalty that bothers you. It's not as much the consequences that bothers you. It's the fact that I offended God that bothers you. I've offended Him. I I don't want to do that. How can I do that? How... It's like Joseph, you know when his Potiphar's wife pressed him day and night, he said, "How can I sin against God and my master to, by doing this?" Now most people say, "What's the, you know, he's a slave, he does what the master says, you know?" Well, no, he didn't want to dishonor the Lord. I think they good because they're thinking that they're going to build up some kind of prejudice. Yeah. right the reason for us doing good things is now within us we want to because we want to honor the Lord we're not doing it because we have to because he's there with a lightning bolt or his finger on the smite button ready to push it but because we love him and we want to honor him we want to do that Paul is saying we are no longer slaves to sin we now have the choice does it, can an unbeliever choose not to sin? No, they can't. They don't have the choice. They don't, they don't recognize it. They don't see it as sin. I mean, they might do the right thing, of course, but it's for the wrong motive. It's not for, I want to honor the Lord, it's I don't want to get caught. Whereas this here, it's like we want to honor the Lord. I want to make him happy. I want to bring glory to his name. I want to bring pleasure to him by doing the right thing. That's the whole idea here, is that we want to honor the Lord. For listen, this is an interesting, and I, I, I picked this up in my study, verse 7, for he who has died has been, now most of your translations said freed from sin, right? We've been freed from sin. All right? But here's the interesting word here. The word there is not freed from sin. The word there is having been Justified, it's a perfect tense verb of being declared righteous, which is sort of interesting, isn't it? If you've been died, if you have died with Christ, if you've been buried with Christ, if you've been baptized into Christ, Paul is saying you have been justified. Now, here's what the perfect tense means in the Greek text it means you that's a past action with continuing results. What is he saying? Your justification is something that happened in the past, but guess what? It's still with you. The results of it, the results of your being declared righteous is still operative in your life. that make any sense? It's still there. It's not something that happened and it may go away. It's something that happened and there still has some continuing right now present ramifications of being declared righteous why do we not want to sin because we don't want to offend a holy God we love him we're not slaves to sin we don't have to do it you know you know Flip Wilson the devil made me do it no the devil can't make you do anything you cooperate (laughs) All right, the devil's not going to make you do anything you cooperate when you do that.
0: God, exactly. you, always, you always find a way
1: out. He'll, he'll, he'll give you a way out. He'll, you don't have to sin. Our problem is we still sin. Why? Because we still have this fallenness. That's going to be the struggle that Paul talks about in Romans 7. But you don't have to listen to it. It's like somebody saying, you know, you, you've been serving a one master, a brutal master, for many years, and a good master then buys you from that evil master. But that evil master keeps coming back every once in a while, wanting you to do something, and you kowtow to him. You don't have to. He's not your master anymore. That's going to be the imagery coming up here in the next section. You don't have to sin. But here's the point. If you're a believer, you don't want to sin. It doesn't mean you don't sin. It means you don't really want to because you're different, you're changed. You've been identified with Christ. You're buried with Him in baptism into His death, buried, and we're buried with Him, and we rise again. Sin has no more dominion over us. He's going to really explain that a little bit more in the next verses. But it's a wonderful thing. So if you show me someone who says I can sin and it doesn't matter, I would say you know you better go back and check to see if you're really a Christian because that's not the words of a Christian. When, uh, when Judas realized he had betrayed Christ, what did he do? Well, the Bible says he repented, right? Oh, he's in heaven now, isn't he? Uh, no, he felt bad. But what did he do? He went and hanged himself. When Peter denied the Lord and the cock crowed three times and Christ took a look at him, what did he do? He went out and wept bitterly. Why? What was the difference between Peter and Jude, Judas? Peter had a connection. Judas did not. Well, Judas felt bad, but Peter wept bitterly. Why? Because he had. He knew that against. Well, it's not that he went against Christ, but what did he violate? The relationship with Christ he saw that tore him up. When you see sin as a violation of relationship and not your rule book, that's when you take a next step in your spiritual journey. No. Okay. No. Well he felt bad, but he went out and hanged himself and the Bible says he went to his own place, which uh and Christ said, Woe to him that that uh, Betrayed me. Did he do this before Christ was
0: resurrected? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was talking yeah, about he, the time he did. No, he I a did a pilot,
1: you think he went to No. No. No, he didn't. Again, I don't have a copy of the book of life. Go I ahead. can't tell you that, you know, but I I'm just saying that I, I would doubt very much. But but the whole point here is is and we're out of time here, but as a believer, we our view of sin has changed from a legal code violation to a relationship violation. When I sin, I violate my relationship with God. I don't break a rule. I violate a relationship, and that's something that's harder on us than just the violation of a rule. So, anyways, we'll pick up here in Romans 6-8 next week thanks father for today and for teaching us and for this word what a wonderful truth to know that we are identified with christ and his death burial and resurrection sin doesn't have a dominion over us we're not slaves to it we don't have to do it we still struggle with it grant us proper view of this father and help us to see sin not as a violation of a rule but as a violation of a relationship and again, thank you for the scripture and for this time that we've had to study in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio@gmail.com. at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.